Um, verse 2 says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we turn to your word this morning, Lord, I pray that you would direct my thoughts, direct my words, that uh, what I say would be honoring to you and that we would all be encouraged and drawn close to you through this time, Lord God. Again, we give thanks to you for Christ and his coming and all that that means to us and the peace that we can have in that comfort of the Lord. Christ. almost every one of his, actually I think it is every one of his letters that we have in our Bible that Paul wrote, starts with this greeting of grace and peace. And peace is something that our world has always strived for and yet failed to accomplish. We've been at war in some way or another somewhere in our world, right from the beginning of time. Um, and we speak of peace and we make peace treaties, we make peace agreements between nations and they inevitably fail and we're back at war again. And so this is just this ongoing attempt at peace and failure on our part. We've all heard of Ann Landers and before her death, she was receiving about 10,000 letters a month to her column that people would come and ask, or write in and ask for advice. And she was asked what her most common question was. And she answered that people seem to be afraid or worried about something. They're afraid of losing their health. They worry about their job. They're filled with concerns about their family, their neighbors, and they're frustrated with their friends. Great preponderance of letters describe relational ruptures and family friction. In short, she said, people are looking for peace, but they can't seem to find it. When we look at our Bible, peace is a very prominent theme throughout the entire scripture. The word peace itself is found some 400 times throughout the Bible. And that doesn't include all the different references to peace that don't include the word itself. As important as peace is, it seems to be one of the most elusive qualities in our lives. In our busy world of trials and problems and struggles, how do we find peace? Well, it does depend on what kind of peace we're talking about. In the Bible, peace is actually used in at least three different ways. And I'm going to look at those three that I can see way off. Uh, this morning, we'll go through, kind of define each one, and maybe just discuss a little bit about how to achieve peace in that area. And so the first, the Bible speaks of having peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, 
being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible describes this, our condition of being sinners. One sin in our life causes us to be at war with God, at enmity, enmity between us and God. Every unsaved person is at war with God, is an enemy of God. We're all born sinners from an early age, every one of us, in our own free will, chooses to sin, we choose to disobey God. The passage I read this morning in, in 1 Peter, basically, it's not an exact quote, but it's referencing this passage in Isaiah 53, verse 6. It says, we have, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned every one to his own way. Instead of following God's way, we all turn to our own way. We have our own ideas of how we should live, how we can achieve peace and harmony. But it's because of this sin, because of turning to our own way, that we're <coughs> enemies of God. The Bible teaches that God is angry with sin, that God can't tolerate sin, and that sin must be judged. And it teaches us that the sinner that refuses to come to God in God's way is under God's wrath. Jesus said this in John 3, verse 36. He said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Paul repeated that in Romans by saying, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It's Romans 1 verse 18. This wrath of God one sin, one sin in our life makes us the subject of God's wrath. We need peace with God. And there is only one way to achieve that peace. And that is through Christ, through his shed blood on the cross, accepting that payment, believing that that payment is sufficient to pay for our sin. And without the peace that we can have through that, the peace with God that that gives us, the other forms of peace that we talked about this morning aren't available to us. We can only achieve the other forms of peace once we achieve peace with God. I'm going to spend more time on these others second kind of peace the Bible talks about is the peace of God. We have peace with God through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But now we can have peace, the peace of God as we strive to live for him. Philippians, if you want to turn to Philippians, I'm going to go 
verses a little bit. So Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Describes the peace of God that passeth all understanding. People can't comprehend when a Christian that peace in the worst day of their life. We look back at some of the martyrs <coughs> in the years gone by, and it actually carries on to this day in various countries. And, but you hear the stories of someone about to be burned at the stake and having complete peace and calm. No fear, no dread. They just got peace, willing to go and face that rather than to deny their Savior, Christ. They have peace, and that spoke volumes to the people that were putting them through that. The peace of God can be defined as an inward spirit of tranquility and sereneness of heart, and a mind that abides even in the midst of trouble and trial. An inward spirit of tranquility and sereneness of heart. It's interesting, years ago there was two artists that were given the task of painting a picture representing perfect peace. The first one paints a picture of a carefree boy sitting in a boat on a little placid lake without a ripple surface of the water. The other painting was of a raging waterfall with the wind whipping the spray around and was on a small limb stretched over top of that water with a nest with a bird sitting brooding her eggs. She was safe from her enemies shielded and protected by the apparent storm around her. And what we need to understand, and that's a better picture of the Christian life than the boy in the boat in the calm. Because God, the peace of God, isn't the absence of trial. It's not the absence of the storm but it's the result of remaining calm and cool in the midst of that storm. The opposite of peace is anxiety and worry when we're facing these perplexing circumstances. So, I said, we need peace with God to be able to achieve the peace of God. That peace that God can give us isn't available the lost world is only available to people who put their trust in Christ to start with. But it's not a guarantee for us, is it? We can go through life. The Bible tells us over and over again not to worry, not to be afraid, not to be full of anxiety over these things, but we're able, the peace of God is available to us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 give the 
living in the Spirit of God, the fruit that you get from those things is amazing. Let's read in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The first step in not worrying, the first step to having that peace of God is to stop worrying. Paul says, Careful for nothing means don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious. Don't be fretful about anything in your life. Whatever it is, we can trust God with those things. So don't be so full of care with the things of life. And that's the first step. said that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> worrying doesn't change the past, doesn't control the future, and all it accomplishes is make you miserable today. Worrying about a problem never solves it. It only does one thing. It keeps you in turmoil. said that we must come to the place where we see worrying as sin. A man named Wes Hawkins said, many of us assume that God merely looks upon worry with a frown, but the fact is he strictly forbids it in his word. Charles Trumbull also said, he says, worry is sin, a black, murderous God-defying, Christ-rejecting sin. Worry about anything, at any time, whatever. You'll never know victory over worry and anxiety until we treat it as sin. For such it is, it is a deep-seated distrust of the Father who assures us again and again that even the falling, falling sparrow is in his tender care. Have you ever thought of worry like that, that Actually, for us to worry is saying that I don't trust God to take care of my problem. That is what we're saying when we're worried about what's going on around us. The second step to experiencing the peace of God is to turn our cares over to God in prayer. 
6, Paul carried on. He says, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Paul says we're supposed to bring our burdens to God in prayer. And I'm sure we've all discovered that becoming a Christian hasn't made our problems go away, has it? But it does give you someone to take your problems to. We all know the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace you often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We need to take our problems to God and pray. Give those things to Him to take care of so we can stop worrying about them and we can have that peace that passes understanding. One of the keys, and I've said this before when we're looking at Philippians, it says do so. Bring your request to God with thanksgiving. We need to have a thankful heart for what God is doing in our lives, what God has done for us. Be thankful that we can come to Him like that, that we can trust Him. Can you take the worry that you're dealing with right now? Or the worry that you went through in the recent past? And ask yourself, how in the world can I thank God for it? The only way is to have faith that God loves you and will do only what is best for you. To truly believe, as Paul says in Romans 8.28, that all things will work good. To those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. If, all, if I believe his word, that all things will work together for good, that means the hard thing that I'm going through right now is actually for my good. And I should thank God for it. Have you ever thanked God for the misery that you're in at that moment? That's a hard thing to do. sailing from England to New York. The captain of the ship had his family and on board, and the ship was in a terrible storm. And the captain's eight-year-old daughter was awakened by the storm, and when she woke up, she asked her mother what was going on. And her mother told her that they were in a terrible storm. And the little girl asks her mom, is daddy on deck? And the mom says, yes, he is on deck. The girl laid her head on her pillow and went back to sleep. Do you trust God the way that little girl trusted her dad in that storm? Do you trust him to guide your ship safely to shore? We can trust God. He is Faithful. He's trustworthy to put our cares to him. 
sometimes we try, we look at these verses, we try to put our trust in God. We go to God in prayer, giving our cares to Him, but if you're like me, it's easy to let those cares come back again. To take those back on ourselves and start worrying once again. But in verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any grace, think on these things. Instead of worrying about our problems, instead of focusing our attention on our needs and the troubles that are around us, we focus on what God says we should focus on. We can be at peace. If we let those things, those good things, those things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, those godly things, if we focus our attention on God, if we fill our hearts with those things, we can push out the fear, we can push out the worry, and we can maintain we need to fill our thoughts, our minds, our lives with those good thoughts, with those right thoughts. Isaiah said, that will keep, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts thee. The more you fill your mind with God and godly things, the more you see how trustworthy God is. And that's what Isaiah saw, and it's in chapter 26, verse 3. Because he trusts in me. Paul adds in Romans 8, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If we fill our minds with spiritual things, we can have Verse 9, we have final step in this passage, at least, of how to experience the peace of God. He says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We need to put into practice the things that we've been taught from the scriptures. And I, I, I like how Paul put this, his, his boast. Two things, and he lists four. <laughs> says, learned and received, and heard and seen in me. It's not really, it's, it's four, but it's really two categories of things. The things that we've learned and received, that's what's been delivered to us. And then, so we need to take that stuff, all this teaching, all the things that we've been taught, that we've been given, that we've learned, and we need to put those things into practice. We need to actually go and do those things. And the second part was that you heard and seen in me. Paul speaks what he taught. He lives and acts out what he taught. We know that Paul was writing from jail when he wrote these words. He had been beaten and tortured and been through shipwrecks, and you name it, it happened to Paul. And he's able to write that he is an example that they can look to of follow my example. 
matter what life looked like, how hard life was, he was at peace because he put it into practice. He trusted God with his life, with his eternity in particular. So those things which you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, do. Gotta do those things. And then the God of peace shall be with you. Third kind of peace, maybe for some of us this is the hardest one, is the peace with others. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says for us to follow peace with all men. This kind of peace is a harmony with other people that results from following biblical principles of relationships. It's God's plan for his people to be peaceable and live without strife and contention, particularly with fellow Christians. But this kind of peace doesn't come by our own strength and power. It comes by having a close fellowship with the Lord, by being selfless and others-centered, and by being daily filled with the Holy Spirit. And this can't be manufactured in our own strength. Because I think the more we depend on our own strength, the less peace we seem to have with other people. God needs to produce in us his character in our lives to make us peaceful with others. I started looking at verses that contain the words one another. And you would not believe how many passages <laughs> describe the way we should act towards one another. And this isn't a comprehensive list, and I've probably got about ten of them here. Love one another. Do you believe the number of times in the New Testament that says for us as we're commanded to love one another? I wonder if it says it that many times because we're so asked to not so bent on not actually loving each other. Not we might say we love each other, but you go go read First Corinthians thirteen and see if you look like you love people. Go look at the different passages that say to love one another and see what's connected with that commandment and the things that we do and say and go to each other. Do we love one another? Not really the way we're taught to. John 13.34 And Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And he repeats it again in the next verse. And like I said, many, many times through the New Testament, 
not stay to love one another. We just repeated over and over again. Next thing was to honor one another. Romans 12 verse 10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. And here's with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. We gotta putting each other first. Putting each other's needs and concerns above our own. It says, be of the same mind with one another. Romans 12, verse 16. It says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Some interesting verses to stop and think about. Mind not high things. Condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. The things that we know to be true and right, sometimes we need to put some of that aside, some of our own knowledge. And remember, the Bible says knowledge puffeth up. Sometimes when we are aware of things and other people aren't aware of that, or aren't on the same page as us in those areas, sometimes we need to that stuff aside and just help the other people. Be willing to condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Just let people be. <laughs> let people not share all of the things that beliefs that you have or ideas that you have. It says accept one another. Romans 15 verse 7 says Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We need to receive each other, to care for each other, to love each other. We need to serve one another. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an, for an occasion to the flesh. But, to, but by love, serve one another. Are you serving each other? It says, bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2, bear you one another bur another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember when Christ was asked, what is the great commandment? Just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of
chooses with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. We need to put up with each other. We can love each other without particularly hating each other. Right? We can there's people we just don't naturally get along with. Our personalities don't match and we have different viewpoints on different things. And this says one to another, tender-hearted, sorry, with all lowliness, that was first, with lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, preparing one another in love. We, need, we still need to love those people that we don't naturally get along with well, that we find it hard to have that positive relationship with, and we need to clean that up. And we need to forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 is what I was just reading. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Has somebody done something that hurt your feelings, that hurt you in some way? We need to forgive those things. We need to, regardless of whether that other person is sorry or even knows that they did something that hurt you. We need to forgive them. Be kind one to another, forgiving as Christ, as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And finally, we need to encourage one another. Hebrews 3, verse 13 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another, let's encourage, lift each other up, help each other when we need help. That wasn't a comprehensive list of all of the different things that use that phrase, one another. And that's not the only instructions that we have in relationships, is if we just look for that phrase, one another. There's much more about relationships and how to act, both among our Christian brothers and sisters and among the world as well. But if we put these one another commands into practice, it produces peace and harmony and unity within our families. James 3 verse 17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So may God help us, we know Christ has saved, to be a people who are at peace with one another because we're loving and ministering. started, he said that a person that doesn't have peace with God is at war with God, an enemy of God. And Romans 5, 1 says, again, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God.
God is obtained through Christ alone. It's not through any good works that we have. Nothing that we do can appease God. Jesus paid the debt for our sin on the cross so that God can be satisfied with that payment. And you and I can be reconciled with him. Paul says, we're justified by faith. of God and have peace with others through living. 